Welcome one and welcome all to the greatest show of them all. It is the NFC East Mixtape Volume 145. And I have a hard time believing that any of the previous 144 will be as enjoyable for me is this one uh you can listen to this on any one of the sb nation nfc east blog podcast networks you can also watch it on the blog on the boys youtube channel the bleeding green nation youtube channel my name arjo choa from blog on the boys his name brandon lee gouton from bleeding green nation blg happy new year 2024 the year of prominence i i don't even know what to say i don't know what to say uh we can't even get into it because we have to go in divisional order i don't know it is Tuesday, January 2nd uh, for us. Wednesday, January 3rd for the listener. Um, Happy New Year once again to you and yours, to your lovely parents, um, to all of our wonderful, beautiful, effervescent listeners, viewers. Um, do you do any of the uh, do you eat grapes or black eyed peas or cabbage or anything like that at the New Year? I don't even know what that is about. Those are traditions. Um, I don't know how many black eyed peas um, or like how much cabbage you're supposed to eat, but you're supposed to eat 12 grapes, one for every month. Um, so you've never done this before? No, I do have another re- resolution for this year. I'll kind of, I'll get to that later. It's too like uplifting or positive, <laughs> at least positive focus to get into at the start, at the start here. Um, but yeah, I'll talk about that maybe towards the end of the show. All right. It is the final week of the regular season um obviously the cowboys and eagles are both heading to the playoffs um the Ugh. giants and commanders are both not we've known that for some time we'll touch on them briefly and they are both obviously the opponents this week for the cowboys and eagles it's a very cowboys eagles heavy show very cowboys eagles heavy time of year as is generally the case uh come playoffs no disrespect intended uh giants and commanders fans but it just kind of is what it is you mentioned that we have to go in divisional standing the dallas cowboys lead the nfc east the dallas cowboys control the nfc east we'll touch on that obviously um but their latest win a 20 to 19 dramatic turn of events uh near the very end uh on saturday night against the detroit lions i think you'll empathize with me brandon um you know, in our line of work, you got to be ready. You got to do a little bit of pre-rides. You got to kind of have stuff ready to roll for the moment something ends. And, you know, you kind of start to to feel yourself, you know, or feel the game trending in one direction. Obviously, sometimes you can't when it's a back and forth sort of affair. But I had all sorts of graphics and everything prepped and ready to go uh, mm-hmm. based on the Cowboys winning this game. And then I just saw them burning up in fire um, as Dan Quinn went super soft, went total prevent and allowed Jared Goff and Ben Johnson and the Detroit Lions to walk all the way down the field. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. I I had moved a few items, like, to the trash bin on my Mac uh, and was like, oh, no, I have to redo all these things. They're about to lose. It's about to completely change. All the drama, all the whatever happened. Cowboys do survive. Cowboys get the win, and they are 11-5 and on the season. Well, you mentioned Dan Quinn, but, I mean, it's also Mike McCarthy's fault. Oh, dude, no, I mean, we've had a lot, um, you know, to say, obviously. It was a weird game um, in that I felt like CeeDee Lamb was incredible, set a career high in receiving yards. Uh, For any Eagles fan that didn't know or any other fan, he set single-season records for receiving yardage and receptions in Dallas Cowboys franchise history, breaking marks that were both previously held uh, by Michael Irvin. Michael Irvin, of course, in attendance on Jimmy Johnson night. I think even the most... um, you know, passionate Cowboys hater had to have enjoyed the halftime speech. It was just so great to see him finally take his rightful place in the ring of honor. Um, and it did feel like a game that the Cowboys should have put away many times. Um, it felt like, you know, the, they had the Dak interception. They had the CD fumble out the end zone, which you and I are both on record uh, as hating and not having a problem with. Um, I have hated that record or hated that rule prior to Saturday night. You have been okay with that rule prior to Saturday night. So we're not mm-hmm. just feeling that way because of right. our agendas here. Um, but so they had these weird kind of things that felt like, you know, for the first time in a long time, it felt like the Cowboys were playing with their food the way they have kind of done, you know, in years past, uh, not putting a team away, which they're obviously known to do in their home building at at Stadium. Um, and yeah, what the hell are you doing, Mike McCarthy, at the very end of this game? I did not have as much of a problem against the Seahawks when he did that uh, near the end of the game. A lot of people got upset. And my thought process at that moment was your offense is rolling. Your defense has gotten pushed around all night. Go in the game on your terms. But this was like completely, what are you doing? Now, a lot of people have pointed out that the Aiden Hutchinson tripping penalty was mistakenly called on Peyton Hendershot. Mm -hmm. If that's appropriately called, obviously none of that ever really happens. And the Cowboys just kind of comfortably win. Although that was obviously not the only officiating mishap Mm -hmm. in this particular game down the stretch. 
I mean, it's pretty tough for the Lions that they lost that way. Uh, everyone wants to, oh, there's like, there seems to be a lot of discussion about, well, you know, the Lions were trying to confuse the Cowboys and they confused the officials instead. If what Dan Campbell said uh, is true in terms of him outlining specifically how that play is supposed to work before the game, then I feel like the officials shouldn't be as confused if that is true and they truly went over that. So I think that is a bad job by the officials there. That is also something that's like not like a judgment call. It is like, you know, procedurally uh, a failure, which there, there, there shouldn't be room for that in the NFL. There's, gonna, there's room for like bad judgment calls, PI, whatever, because like some of that is subjective and in the yeah. moment and bang, bang. Like this, this is something that is like not the really acceptable when it comes for margin for error in terms of like, you know, reporting and getting that in and, and whatnot and having that um, communication be done properly. Um, now, I will say, bizarre to me after that play for the <laughs> Lions to go for it from the seven yard line. Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm all for being aggressive, but like from the seven yard line, it's like you probably just should kick the extra point there and play for overtime. Um, I completely agree. So, it- it, it felt they like didn't really help themselves after that, but certainly, I mean, they absolutely got screwed on that. They did. They absolutely did. They got screwed on that moment. If you play like, I don't have a, a passionate, like there's some Cowboys fans that are like, Oh, well we've been on the wrong end of officiating before. Like I don't have a take along those lines, but <laughs> not against the um, lions in your building. I, I do think that it's fair to say that if the tripping penalty is, it is attributed properly, then nothing ever happens. And that was a very popular take in the aftermath of this game as well. I also don't have a problem with the, um, the gamesmanship or whatever you want to call it of Detroit sending three offensive linemen um, during the reporting of eligibility for Taylor Decker. Um, I thought Kyle Brandt had a great take about this on Monday. He was like, that's like, we're in the era of gamesmanship. Like you should be doing anything and everything you can to push the limits that's within the confines of the rules. And it's unfortunate for the Lions that it, it backfired on them in that sense. Now, I also think it's fair to point out that the Cowboys left Taylor Decker uncovered because they did not know him to be eligible because of the announcement. I mean, they covered Dan Skipper because that's what they were told via the announcement. Um, so, I mean, it's it's one of those things that's just going to be talked about forever. And it is unfortunate because, and again, we'll get there in a moment, this now, you know, in all likelihood will impact who is the two seed in the NFC. If the Cowboys and Lions somehow meet in the NFC championship game, hypothetically, that game's mm-hmm. at AT&T Stadium because of this thing, potentially, right. again, or or I don't want to say just this thing, but officiating errors. Um I don't, I'm not going to sit here and excuse the Dak Prescott interception, but I thought in that moment and I tweeted it that I thought that Dak had to have thought he had a free play because it seemed like in that moment, Aiden Hutchinson might've been offside slightly. I don't again, feel like, Oh, that was a missed call. That's one of those subjective things potentially, but it was, it was another indication, the latest indication that the NFL has a huge officiating problem. And I do wonder if this is the, like the straw that breaks the camel's back. Adam Schefter was kind of going in on the officials on Sunday morning uh, during the Sunday, like morning dumps. And that's kind of rare to me. I don't know if you like that's this is not related to the Cowboys, but like for Adam Schefter to be digging in on the officials, like it does feel like a, a more serious thing than usual. I don't know if it actually helps or not, but it is kind of, you know, you, you look at the NBA and they have like the two minute report where at like end of games, they kind of admit if a call was right or should have like, yes, this call was called this way and it should have been called that way or no, actually it was called wrong. And the NFL just doesn't do that. They're like, nope, everything that was called right is canonically correct, and there isn't possibly a missed call ever at any point. Like, the pool report's always a joke. Um, doesn't really offer any kind of value, va- valuable insight or anything from the officials. There's never going to be like, yeah, we maybe that should have been officiated differently, or maybe we messed up here. And that's frustrating. There's no accountability. It just seems like there's no outward accountability. Obviously, this crew, too, had that big, adds multiple big mistakes, uh, the Brad Allen crew this season. Um, and you would hope that they're not in the playoffs, officiating in the playoffs, because they shouldn't be based on performance. That was so, also, sorry, a weird point that Schefter had. He was like, this crew, like, reportedly not be together in the playoffs. They're never together. Like, the crews are like all star crews that are, that are assembled right. for the playoffs. So it's not like crews. He shouldn't be in the playoffs, not just his crew. Like, right. Brad Allen should not be in the playoffs. I don't mean to skim over this, but as far as the game itself, um, I was everybody was furious with Dan Quinn, obviously, for just going so soft there at the very end and the predictable thing happening. And I was really mad because, you know, beyond the obvious, but I've been really hard on Dan Quinn. And I was so ready to kind of jump on our postgame show and be like, all right, where's my crow? Like, I'm going to eat it. He put together a masterful performance, shutting down, you know, one of the premier offenses in the NFL. And I told you this on TGI Football, um, and all of our listeners heard it at Blog on the Voice. Jeremy Reisman, um, who is the us at Pride of Detroit, 
he was really not that like invested in this game. And so I don't know if that disposition rippled into the lions or anything like that, but for the most part, again, the Cowboys defense really shut them down. And I, I thought that was really impressive. Dan Campbell was super aggressive, obviously even early on going for it on fourth down. It did feel like Dan Quinn kind of jumped the shark a little bit on aggression throughout the entire night. I'm, I'm with you. I'm all for being aggressive, but again, Dan Quinn, you got to like, not Dan Quinn, Dan Campbell. There's too many Dan's right now. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, yeah. I'm kind of getting confused here. Uh, Dan Campbell, he had the fourth down that he went for it down near the goal line. I think it was a one-possession game at that moment. I think it was seven to three, and it's like, dude, take the points. Like, And if they'd taken those points at the very end of the game, this is a, a you know different situation. You don't need that two-point conversion. And I know that's hindsight, but, uh, but the Cowboys stood tall. They had two incredible interceptions. Jordan Lewis, obviously, the Michigan man himself. Uh, Donovan Wilson had what should have been the game-clinching interception. I was so that's bummed shocking. for him. Yeah, that's like, shocking that that's like you see that play happen in other games and you just then you turn the game off or right. like you're like, oh, well, that's it. Or like if you're doing what we do and you're like you're kind of writing your recap like that should have been the game right there. It really should have been. Um, I did think that Dak played really well. One of my biggest stock ups was Brandon Cooks, because on a night where CeeDee Lamb literally set a career high in receiving yardage and was all over the place, they still needed help from somebody else. They still needed somebody else to kind of, you know, make another play. And he had obviously what could have been you know kind of effectively was the game winning touchdown i know it took more than that but um they have not had that like that that is that is one of the main differences in this cowboys team versus last year's cowboys team they did not have somebody who could step up opposite of cd lamb and that brandon cooks is is you know available to do that is a really important factor of their overall team composition yep. i mean if, if you want to talk more about the cowboys you're just delaying talking about the Eagles. so i mean it's, it's an opportunity for you I don't have anything to add there. Yeah, I mean, he's been, it seems like he's come on in the second half, right? Fair to say. It kind of had a slower start to the season. He's come on a little bit here. Um, Obviously, it was a good low-cost addition. Uh, Fifth-round pick. Um, Yeah, this was, again, this was the best game the Cowboys defense has played in a while. It was really impressive of them to obviously stop the skid, not lose three games in a row, and put themselves in position to benefit from what happened on Sunday. Um, I guess... The time has come, Brandon. Now, somebody (laughs) made the Arizona Cardinals their lock of the week on TGI Mm. football. And that person was laughed at and ridiculed, lambasted. Still below 500. In fact, what I was told was, oh, I feel even better because you locked this up, RJ. Because your record in the locks is so poor and so hilarious. still true. Um. The Arizona Cardinals, who I won't—I don't want to say every Eagles fan, but unlike when I say I don't want one opinion to represent a fan base, a lot of Eagles fans, yourself included, threw the Cardinals loss in the Cowboys' face over and over and over and over again this season just for Jonathan Gannon to do it. Jonathan Gannon to rip Philadelphia Eagles' hearts well, out. 35-31. I mean, Jonathan Gannon, apologize to him. He didn't lose a Super Bowl. <laughs> well, he did coach a good game. I'll give him credit for that. Um, it would have been nice, as I tweeted after the game, if this was, the Eagles this was Super one of Bowl was his ever. Super Bowl I, instead I of this being why. his Super Bowl. I mean, that would have been cool, but you really whatever. Be- you really believe that he cared more about this game than he did the Super Bowl. That's ridiculous. I don't I don't think it's impossible. I really don't. Anyway, um, I mean, we don't need to relitigate the Super Bowl thing, but uh, I mean, they were up 21 to 6. <laughs> the Cowboys helped you on Saturday night. And I don't want to hear getting ahead of like any, like, see, are you, do you regret the Cowboys winning now? I saw no, a lot of this. Because yeah. no, because if the Eagles can't beat the Cardinals, then I don't want them to win the NFC. So I don't want the Eagles to like win the NFCs because the Cowboys lost to the lions and then the Eagles lose to the Cardinals. And then the Eagles beat the giants in week 18. And that's how the Eagles win. That. No, I don't want that. That's horrible. Because like the, the only point of that is, which is nice would be key. the only point of that would be keeping the Cowboys away from the two seed in the division crown. It wouldn't be like about believing in the Eagles doing anything in the playoffs. So you're just playing keep away at that point, which is better than nothing, but that's not the point. You want the Eagles to be in good position because you believe they can actually do something. Not just for because those, they're in the, in the way. For those unaware, just to be clear, had Detroit won on Saturday night, um, then Philadelphia would still control their destiny despite yeah. Sunday's result for the NFC right. But because Dallas won, now they control their destiny, obviously. Right. And because Dallas beat Detroit, Dallas controls their destiny for the two seed as well. Yeah, and that I don't regret. I don't regret. Like that's not that's not a regret. Um, 
I just think that 21 to six score at halftime against one of the worst teams in the NFL. You're at home. You were 13 point favorites. Uh, The line went up from 12 to 13 right before the game. There's just no way you're healthy. Like you don't really have many Darius Slade's not playing. Okay. Zach Cunningham, you're missing two starters on defense, but like your offense is entirely healthy. Um, You got Avanti Maddox back. Like there's no good reason. And it's not only like, they lost because losses happen. Sometimes there's weird, fluky things. It's not like they lost, you know, like on a Hail Mary, some kind of like fluky right. play. I mean, the Cardinals just like had their way. They thoroughly outplayed them. They, you know, they, they just did what they wanted on the ground. The 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 second half defense, it's it was just pathetic. An all-time pathetic performance. Four scoring drives for the Cardinals, touchdown drives over like, you know, like 70, 77 yards, like just huge uh time consuming drives where the Cardinals only had two third downs on all four of those. I saw this only, and, and a is, fourth down, that, that, which was the touchdown, the, 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 for the, not the go ahead touchdown, but the tying touchdown. One of those third downs was a third and one. So like, okay, that's really not that great. You know, they easily converted it. And yeah, the, the other one was a third and four uh, in goal to go territory. And yes, they went for it on fourth down and got it anyway. So you didn't get a third down stop on those two, two downs, obviously they're all touchdown drives, but um, it's just pathetic. And Gee, who would have thought putting Matt Patricia uh, as the defensive coordinator wouldn't work out? I, there's so many people who are like, oh, it can't be worse than Sean Desai. Guess what? It can be worse. And who should be shocked by that? No one. It's pathetic. It's it's insane that they did that. And that was at the point in this season where I started to be really out in this team. And I think it's fair. I think you would acknowledge that. like, Because I said they had adversity. That's fine. The problem isn't that the Eagles had adversity. Adversity is going to happen through the course of the season. The The big thing is how do you respond to adversity? And as soon as the Eagles did uh, or had adversity, their response was panic. They panicked. And at that point, I'm like, the vibes of this team are just off. It's not good. Who in the world? Like, I, I just don't, I think teams don't think about moves enough from the other side, like the opponent side of things. Who in the world is like, oh, no, the Eagles just promoted Matt Patricia. What are we going to do now? That's terrible. That's for us. How could we possibly counter against that? No one is thinking that. It's a joke that they ever hired him. It's a joke that they promoted him. And it's not just him, by the way. I'm not just trying to bag on Matt Patricia here. Like, like he's the problem. Get rid of him. It's Nick Sirianni. It's your boy, Nick Sirianni, who mm. I just think this is a poorly coached team. I, to your point, before the season, I mean, what is he doing for this team? What is he providing for this team? This idea that the Eagles are just going to like fire their coordinators and that's going to fix everything is pathetic to me because what is Nick Sirianni doing well for this team? Is he giving them an edge in like the vibes culture department? No, Nick's AJ Brown is visibly frustrated on the field. Players are frustrated. He's not even visibly. He's, he's vocalizing his, it's like, it's not well, he's, just no, he's that not he's like, now. well, I mean, he's effectively verbalizing his frustration. You know, he he's, may not be literally saying them. Right. Yes. Um, so you have that going on. Is he giving them an edge of being aggressive? No, it's third and 20 or that the whole first and 20 sequence on their final drive that oh, uh, dude, besides the that final was... drive of the game, their penultimate drive. Then it's just pathetic. I mean, two quarterback runs and on third and 20, which by the way, the Eagles converted against the giants week. Yeah. with a throw using <laughs> a throw from Dylan hurts to AJ Brown. The Eagles throw a screen pass to Kenny Gainwell. Like you're just giving up. It's so, and that's that's not just like a one-off this year. That's like a, a consistent theme. Eagles throwing short or running short on third and long behind the sticks, conservative BS. So Nick Sirianni's not giving them an edge in terms of being aggressive. Some of the you know advanced analytic charts will obviously show differently in terms of them going for it on fourth and short so much with the tush push. But like, put that aside for a second. That's nice and all. It's not just about that. It's about, you know, like, again, these situations, too, where you're not being aggressive. So not giving them an edge culture-wise, not giving them an edge aggressive-wise. Is he giving them an edge schematic-wise? I would say not. I would say that the Eagles' schemes are not – no one is happy with them. So what is he providing for this team? Um, I don't as know. As far as culture, so he's – like, to say lost the locker room is, like, a heavy thing to say, right? But he's, I think, certainly teetering in that direction. Um, I don't think anyone and, always truly loses the locker room because the players are incentivized not to, right? Because that's like 
think about your work situation. You, I mean, I'm, I'm sure some people do want their boss fired, but some people don't because that means like they have stability. You know what I mean? You don't want your boss fired because then that boss might want new people. So like players are incentivized to want their coach to stay in a lot of the cases anyway. So I said this all last year, and I think you would, you know, back me up on that, that all of his antics and all things that like seemingly were part of the vibes and the management of the locker room, the outward personality, all those things are great when you are winning and they are impenetrable when you're winning, when you're winning, nobody has any, because I mean, you said things and I'm not like coming at you, but like, it's like, Hey, they're winning. Like he can do whatever he wants. It's his world. It's their world. Like, well, you you say that all the time. You're like, when you win, you can uh, talk, talk, but he, he put a mat, like, look teams like people hate teams or whatever he put a massive target on this team's back and so like now the downfall is exacerbated by that i mean it without the payoff it doesn't matter you know if they'd won the super bowl last year and all this were still happening it would be okay because you'd be immortal you know what i mean but you didn't and, and not you specifically but like that like so my my point is i think if anything he is negatively impacting the the locker room at this point in time and it it actually suggests that like okay so like was your gift at managing the locker room just like having fun when everything was going really well like if you can't if you can't turn things around like what are you actually like what did you actually do last year nothing i mean yeah it's anyone can do that any coach can like for yeah, the most any part, coach like, can pound their chat, chest and scream at Chiefs fans when they walk off the field and say, like, we won. You know what I mean? But, like, what 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 net effect are you having in a positive way when things are not working out for you? Exactly. It's hard to yeah. it's hard to see, like, how he's done anything. And that's not just related to this year. But even two years ago when, you know, in 2021, when they were a playoff team, fine. But, like, mm-hmm. it, it was not, like, cool, Nick Sirianni. All you – he – I don't mean to, like – poke at this because it upsets eagles fans i'm sure but like julian love was right like all, like he he, it, he kind of looks like somebody who is completely and totally elevated and carried by a gm who built an incredible roster that did some incredible things together that had two really great coordinators who pulled the right strings and nick sirianni was the front man singer for it all and you know had a great time doing that and when he had to do some and has to do some legitimate work he's failing well, i think last year you know yeah, certainly he was aided by talent you could say in his in, in uh, fairness to him like pretty much every player with few exceptions on the roster was performing above expectation. And I think that's part of good coaching, you know, is getting more out of what you have, but this year it's the exact opposite. I mean, you're getting less out of more as opposed to doing more with less. And I don't know, like, let me ask you from your perspective, like if you're the Cowboys, like, do you want to see the Eagles move on or do you want to see Nick Sirianni back in 2024? I would love to see Nick Sirianni back. See, case in point. Well, like, I was going to say when you were talking about like how do opponents react or who's like afraid when you're making the move to Matt Patricia, I last year, obviously the Eagles defense was terrifying, which is why the game that Dak Prescott had against them on Christmas Eve was so impressive. Um, I'm in no way like they still have a stout pass rush as far as I'm concerned, but like you can handle that. Not you know, really, you can not right now. They well, mean, like, it's even not if they effective. do like, if that's all you got going on, you can survive that. You know, you might lose at certain moments, but you can more than survive that. Um, nothing about the way Jalen Hurts is playing terrifies me whatsoever. Like, I mean, and I think the Sirianni blame is kind of covering for him a little bit right now. I'm not saying he's like mega to blame, but he definitely has his fair share. The he's, only he's thing involved this past game, though, is not the game for that. <clears throat> the only things that I fear right now, if the Cowboys have to play the Eagles, are A.J. Brown being you know, supernova at any given moment in time and DeAndre Swift. That's the only thing like, because and DeAndre Swift is kind of an extension of the Eagles offensive line at this point. Like he, he seems to be the person most capable of capitalizing on, you know, the run game and the opportunities that they can provide, but put the ball in Jalen Hurts' hands. And actually it seems to me back to Jalen. And I don't mean to take anything off of the hands of the coordinators or Sirianni, but I mean, it seems like they might feel like they're limited. I mean, how do you not dial up one pass past the sticks or near the sticks in that first and 20 situation? Like, it it seems to me, you could tell me if I'm wrong, like they are so afraid to put the game well, in his hands. Yeah, their actions show that. No, I don't I don't agree that it's justified, though. I don't think that they're, they're right for thinking that way. Okay, but but you I agree mean, that they, they do seem to be operating that way. Like, again, yes, the genesis of thought is, is certainly up for debate, but they, they yeah. seem completely hell-bent against letting Jalen Hurts try to win a game, whether that's Which based is, out of fear or anything else, obviously can be debated. Again, insane, especially when Jalen Hurts had a big role in converting a third and 20 earlier just the same week on the Monday and Christmas against the Giants. So, um, yeah, again, the coach is not justified in thinking that way. But, yes, they do seem to be thinking that way, which is insane because then why pay your quarterback a quarter of a billion dollars? And then why have 
AJ Brown? Why have Devontae Smith on your team? Devontae Smith, by the way, getting hurt on that screen pass to Kenny Gainwell because he's like, you asked your 160 whatever pound receiver to be lead blocking for him. Like, it's just so to, to block for I, 20 I yards, by the way, not just like in general, but to, to clear enough, you know, runway for 20 yards worth of conversion. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not like glad, obviously, no one's glad that Devontae Smith got hurt, but it's like, it's so fitting. It almost is like, like, yeah, that's what you deserve. Like, you deserve something bad to happen because that was so stupid. Um, and it's, and you should, should have to wear it. It's pathetic. You can't, I just can't get over it. Like, <laughs> the two seed is just there for the taking. It's just there. It's like all you need to do is beat the Cardinals as 13 point favorites and the Giants in week 18. And it's there. And what you do from there, who knows? But like, it's just there for the taking. And now, now I, I wish they weren't in the playoffs. I really do. I really wish the Eagles were not playing a playoff game because I just, I don't want to watch them play football. I don't want to watch them this week in week 18. I want it to be over. I'm done. Like, I'm, I've, I'm like borderline on protest of like, I don't want to do this podcast. I don't want to write about them. It just sucks. There's no fun. There's no joy in this. It sucks. They're not enjoyable. Um, it's it's not like sometimes it's like fun to rip a team. I don't even think it's fun to rip them right now. It just sucks. This whole season has been like it's such a slog. Um, and it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. They're 10 and 1. They could have figured it out better than this. They didn't have to respond so poorly to adversity. Were they gonna win the Super Bowl? Probably not. That's fine. I mean, it's not fine in terms of like it's the goal, but it's fine in terms of it's tough to do. You can, yeah, you can square that, right? And okay, you got the two seed, or you put yourselves in good position to do it. It just didn't work out. You ran into the Cowboys or the 49ers, whatever. Like, okay, you got beat by a, a team that's playing really well. Okay, that happens. It, it sucks, but it happens. But this, this doesn't happen. This is not just like something that happens. It's not like, oh, you lose some, you win some. No, this is an epic collapse, like unprecedented collapse. And I just think, again, it's very pathetic to me. I, I see. The, the Eagles subreddit just has like a billion posts uh, that are like fire Brian Johnson. Like who you're so missing the forest from the trees here. Like, yeah, really? Like Brian Johnson's the entire problem with this team. Really? I'm not trying to defend him and say like, you should keep him fire him too. Fine. Whatever. But like the idea that like he is the problem with this team and not like the head coach. It's just so wrong. It's so wrong. I mean, I know we both said it in different ways at the time, the 2022 Eagles were very clearly one. They weren't just near one end of the spectrum. They were the very end. Like they had a perfect season in almost every single sense, right? Like they got, you said, like performance above expectation from like who, who underwhelmed last year on the like Quez Watkins. Oh, oh. That's about it. <laughs> wow. They overcame that. Like good for them. And I don't mean to make this about the Cowboys, but I mean, just for like to, explain my line of thought what the thing that has impressed me the most through the mike mccarthy era and one of the reasons why i defend him so much is what he did at the beginning of last season when Dak prescott was hurt and it was never it, it was somewhat about at the beginning like wow this had never happened under jason garrett because that's true whenever tony romo was hurt under jason garrett they were awful they won one single game without him um in, Jar in garrett's full like tenure as cowboy head coach he missed 12 games in 2015 they won one and so it's like what is your coaching staff offering you you know that, that was my point at the time like if they are so worthless without the quarterback obviously it's an important position but like what are they doing and that's what was so impressive to me about mccarthy even in 2021 they won that one game in minnesota that dak didn't play that cooper rush did and last year they went four and one without him like that was truly you use the word like adversity whatever that was truly mike mccarthy's cowboys facing adversity dan quinn Kellen Moore at the time like everybody deserves credit obviously Cooper Rush himself as well but like they responded and that that is a very stark difference for the Cowboys from previous iterations of their franchise and it does not seem like this Eagle staff even really Eagles team is kind of cut out for that right now like I know that AJ Brown is pissed off but hey dude like it's also not helping that you're kind of isolating yourself like this. Like they, they all seem like they are pouting that nothing is going their way that they're not the mm -hmm. kings of the NFL anymore and that is some big loser energy. Well, yeah, I want to be clear here, too. It's not just on the coaches. Like, obviously, the players play their – when it's a collapse of this proportion, everyone shares blame. It's not literally just Nick Sirianni, although I think, you know, he is a big part of it, and he inspires some of the least confidence going forward. Um, but, you know, Harry Roseman obviously plays a role. I don't think he plays the biggest role, but he plays a role in some of the talent being deficient to such an extreme degree. I mean, what they have at linebackers just not even – 
like it's not even playable right I, now. I know that you uh, haven't heard this yet, cause, and Brandon does listen to the SB Nation NFL show, but we did it on Tuesday, Monday Football Monday, and JP Acosta said that the faults of the Eagles defense lie on Howie Roseman more than anybody else. Um, that might not be a popular. I mean, that's take. not true. I mean, in terms I'm, of, I'm slightly embellishing this point. You can listen to it yourself. Uh, but his point was like, that Howie's, Howie's not investing legitimate resources in those positions. I mean, like Shaq Leonard was going to save the part day. Part of the problem. And I mean, like, this is also, you know, and I, I mentioned this to JP and Mark, but like during the draft, it's like, oh, man, Nicobe Dean fell and Howie Roseman's so smart for scooping him up. And it's like, maybe he fell for a reason. Like, you know, well, I've this, always was, said this, that. Yes. this was all built on like hype and not you know, a lot of things that he has done have been built on like substantial cornerstones. But like he has gotten the rightfully earned the benefit of the doubt in a lot of ways but it's like dude you massively underprepared for a lot of this and that is starting to finally show up now that you're reaching the po the postseason yeah that's part of the problem so is what they've done with defensive coordinator inarguably and whoever made that decision to demote sean desai who obviously wasn't you know amazing but sean desai did see shutouts of the dolphins and the chiefs and the cowboys in second halves of those games that's not nothing that's like more than nothing. What has Matt Patricia done against a non-backup quarterback? One of the worst defensive games I've ever seen. The Eagles were, you know, decent against the Seahawks other than, you know, the game-winning 92-yard drive that they gave up. And then uh, against the Giants, they were fine. But the starting quarterback in that game, Tommy DeVito, got benched. And as soon as Tyrod came in, the Giants looked better and had a chance to win on the final play of the game. So... Whoever made that decision, obviously, because it, like, it's hard to believe it's just Nick Sirianni. And I'm not saying that to give him a pass because I want to blame him more. But, you know, I, I just think the way the Eagles operate, it tends to be that the head coach isn't just in charge of everything and unilateral power. And it's making that call entirely on his own. So, um, you know, I don't think that's just his call to promote Patricia like he did. That's obviously part of the problem. So, yeah, it's talent. Part of it is the coaching and the organizational decision making. Um, the players, again, the players wear some of the blame in terms of Josh Wett hasn't had a sack since he sacked Dak Prescott at the end of that Cowboys game in Philly in week nine. Like, what are we doing here? Um, the pass rush as a whole, I think, has four sacks in their last three games or so, three or four sacks. Like, that's not good enough for an offensive or a defensive line that has so many resources invested in it. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of blame to share here. Um, my last thought on this game and then we could take a break and kind of spin forward and, and look at the postseason kind of picture and things like that. Um, this was a great game from Jonathan Gannon and, and it really did kind of, you know, elevate the stock for the Cardinals in my book entering next season. And I mean, certainly for Kyler Murray as well. But so when I said, and I said this last year that I thought the Eagles did a great job as a staff of identifying the kind of the meat that like everybody else would throw away, right? Like they, they identified the like usable parts and, and found a way to kind of cook that as well. Um, and a lot of that was based around aggression. And we've seen a lot of, like, it's a, it's a copycat league. And like we talked about Dan Campbell, blah, blah, a new like element of that. I thought was the onside kick. I thought that was brilliant. Um, like beyond the fact that it wasn't like a surprise or whatever, it, like we've talked so much about like where Sirianni has been great is the upside. And that's why we talked about like McCarthy, not challenging um, whatever it was, the, um, the Stefan Diggs fumble in Buffalo, like the up, the like potential upside is so massive that you kind of have to go for it. Mm -hmm. And while it didn't work out, I love the like logic it's based in. It's like, okay, like I know everybody was saying like, oh, well, he knew that like they would get the ball back anyway and they would score because the Eagles defense was so bad. My thought process was like, I think this is brilliant because there, I don't know how many minutes, I think it was like four and a half minutes that were left or whatever. Like what I like about that is you eliminate all the time that the Eagles can, you know, wither away from the clock by, right. by moving that far. It was such a brilliant move. Like it was, it, it feels like something that's been hiding in plain sight that like nobody's really thought to identify. And I, I think Jonathan Gannon deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, that I mean, Gannon did outcoach Sirianni, and I yeah agree, same thing. Because if you get it, great. If you get the onside yeah, kick, exactly. awesome. Uh, if you don't, then all right. Uh, then you feel con. I mean, why would you not feel confident in your offense's ability to score when you just had three straight touchdown drives prior to that point? Well, and, um, he, and where... he also they shut they they limited the Eagles to a field goal. Like he he completely punked the Eagles in every sense, like with the the you know onside now. Attack. Yes, yes, he did. And that's also begs the question why the Eagles were so content for playing for that field goal. When again, you're not thinking about what the opponent wants you to do. Jonathan literally wants you to do that and you're obliging for some reason. So I don't understand that part. 
Um, the other part I don't understand is why Jonathan Gannon couldn't think this way in the Super Bowl oh when <laughs> his style, well, uh, the final drive against the Chiefs, he was playing his BS defense where it was like, well, we'll, we'll let the Chiefs, you know, take everything underneath, but we want to ex- eliminate the explosive play at all costs. That's not the problem. You, you're If you allow the explosive play, that's okay. Because if the Chiefs score quickly, that gives you a chance to score at the end of the game, as opposed to if you let them bleed the clock and score, that is literally the worst case scenario and is exactly what, his defense was designed to do in that situation. So I guess he learned from that, but uh, it just sucks that I couldn't help the Eagles when he was around. Um, okay. Uh, the time has come. We're going to take a break. Then we're going to come back and kind of sort through the potential playoff ramifications. BLG, will you please throw us to break? Go. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a... 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back uh, for the, um, the the podcast science. That was the the most sad chess pass of all time. Like that, that was like, that's, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't say this with the joy that I think it's going to sound like I'm saying it with. But like, BLG is down pretty bad. Uh, like. I'm just done. I'm just, I'm, I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed that I have to cover this game. Like there's team for two more games. Like it's just, it's a waste of my, it's a waste of everyone's time. Everyone knows how this is going to end. It's not, there's no like, well, maybe they can do it. No, we've seen enough of a sample size from this team where we know they're not going to do it. We've seen it all freaking year. Like expecting it and something to change would literally just be like winning the lottery like it's just it's there's no realistic chance can it happen in theory sure but can lightning strike sure but like waiting for that to happen feels incredibly foolish and a waste of time so uh and this team doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs but they will be so that's fun so i think we can touch on the giants and the commanders as we get to these two games um so at the moment the cowboys are the two seed they're the nfc's leaders uh if they win they clinch uh the eagles are, are the five seed and can't I believe cannot fall any lower than that. Um, right. Right. So neither right. the Cowboys or the, like the Cowboys or Eagles are going to be, one of them is going to be the five seed. Um, the rest is kind of, you know, still a little bit unwritten. Um, it's going to be the Detroit, Cowboys as the, two well, seed. I mean, my point, like just to explain all possible outcomes, Dallas could lose. And, but if Philly loses, Dallas still takes the division. But if Dallas loses and Philly loses and Detroit wins, then Detroit is the two seed and Dallas is the three seed. So there are several possible permutations. And um, do you know the odds of the Cowboys losing and the Eagles winning in week 18? I don't know. Um, it's but... plus 870. So okay. if you want to put $100 on that outcome happening where the Eagles win the NFC East, you can win and, or $870. Uh, that might not be worth it. Throw 10 bucks at that. You know what I mean? You never know. But um, so... As it relates to Sunday, uh, and both these games are happening in the afternoon window. Uh, I thought the I really my prediction was that NFL was going to put them in the noon slot, but um, I mean whatever. Uh, the Eagles are at the Meadowlands, not the Meadowlands anymore, but still it's the Meadowlands. It'll always be the Meadowlands. Um, they are five point favorites on the road. The Cowboys are on the road as well, but they are thirteen point favorites. I mentioned this on Monday. Um, they are more than the next closest line is fewer than half of that like the the second largest favorite second heaviest favorite this week now 
are the Bengals. They are six-point home favorites over the Browns. So even if you double that, my point is the Cowboys are still larger favorites than that on the road. And the Browns Washington. are resting starters. Right. And th- that's the odds obviously factor in some of that. But that's my point and to your point about how improbable it would be. And a lot of that is because it's in the commander's best interest to lose this game. If the commanders right. lose, they hold the number two overall pick in the NFL draft now that the Bears mm-hmm. have locked up the first one by way of the Carolina Panthers. Um, so these are the possible permutations as I understand them. Um, if we believe that Dallas is the two seed and Philly is the five seed, um, that would mean that Philadelphia is either going to travel to Tampa, New Orleans, or Atlanta. All the, if the Bucks win, it's them. But if they yeah, lose, that's the easy way to to say it. If it, the Bucks win, it's them, and if they don't, it's the winner of the Falcons Saints game. So rank those for me if you believe this is the most probable path I for most desired. <laughs> I don't. I care. think I think the Falcons are the most preferred option if you're an Eagles fan. But I don't even I don't want the Eagles to win though because it's just like oh they're gonna say well at least they won I don't want any false positive I don't want I don't I don't want the Eagles to win because they're the less worst team like that's not that doesn't do anything for me uh, I, mean, I don't want it to be the Saints from a standpoint of the Eagles oh that really old. damages the second round draft yeah. pick right so it kind of feels like that's naturally what's gonna happen here if you're really <laughs> you know rooting for maximum Eagles pain then you should be rooting for the Saints or the Bucks to lose and then the Saints to win and then the Eagles to lose to the Saints uh in new orleans to really just really even make it worse for what is um let me see something because the saint the nfc south is obviously a joke so i think the bucks are gonna win though come on is the panthers are like just they're just listless they're such a i agree with you but at this moment um the saints hold the 13th overall pick in the draft so they're i don't what was their second round pick like uh 45th or 40 uh yeah 45th Um, so if they win the division though, like just to your point, Tampa is at 20. So that immediately bumps them down to, you know, the 19, 20, actually the 20 range because they can't be lower, um, than the wild cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then if they were to win a playoff game, uh, and beat the Eagles in that, you know, kind of that double move to your point, uh, that would have them around the 25 range. So you're talking about dropping, you know, almost twice as far as the original spot of 13 in the second round, of course. There's kind of like an interesting narrative to the Eagles losing to any of these teams in terms of if they lose to the Bucks, it kind of gives you back that, you know, they lost to the Bucks in 2021. Kind of like this, it kind of uh, like, this, like, this, a, like um, a closing of the of the three-year yeah. window. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. Uh, if you look at the Falcons, it's the Taylor Heineke, your angle, the shoes and everything, and they lost <laughs> to Taylor Heineke last year. Oh, they and should then, wear Kelly Green so he can he can get that color of Jordans, yeah. There you go. And then the Saints with the draft pick thing. So there's their own little uh, twist to every single opponent there. But uh, yeah, I do think if you're t- if if you're saying, Brandon, do you still believe in the, if you assuming you still believe in the Eagles, who would you most want to play? Yeah, I think the Falcons are the obvious answer. And there, the Saints would be but, second, and even though um, it would, in the in the name of best matchup, even though the Saints yeah. would damage the draft pick significantly. Mm, I think I mean, I think the Bucks are kind of better, but the Eagles did beat them earlier this year. And I, I like I think you'd rather play in Tampa than in New Orleans, just because the dome is a little bit more of a you know tougher place to play, I think, than Tampa. But uh, again, I don't really care. Who cares? I'm I'm done. I hope they lose both games. I hope the season ends and they realize that they need to change their head coach. I'll so you that's your move. I, I'll get to that in a moment. Sorry, because I, I want to hit the Cowboys side of this. Um, but we both think the Eagles are winning on Sunday against the Giants. No, I think why? Why the Eagles can lose to anyone? What's your, what's your pick? I mean, they're four point favorites. You're, I guess not laying they're the five point the favorites, but I'll take the Giants. Uh, the Giants only lost to the Eagles by eight points in Philly, and that and, was with, without Terod Taylor playing. And the I was going to say, yeah, yeah, the game was a lot more competitive when once Terod came in, and uh, Giants almost beat the Rams like a hot Rams team last week. They came down to a 54 yard field goal that Mason Crosby missed at the end. If he makes that, they upset the Rams, which like that was that'd be a legitimately that was, the Rams have been on fire. They've been, they're they're dangerous. You've been saying it, a dangerous wild card team. Um, so uh, yeah, I I I, I can't, the Eagles have just no all benefit of the doubt is gone. I can't possibly pick them. I'm picking picking the Giants outright, but especially getting five points. We can talk about this again, at the, again in a little bit, but um, I do. I don't know that I would personally predict that Sirianni's fired. I definitely think there has to be a fall guy at this point. But um, but a loss to the Giants, like losing five of your final six to like limp into the playoffs, that I think that might seal it. Uh, even if they win the playoff game, just because you know whatever. But um, okay, so 
you're picking the Giants, I guess, mm-hmm. um, somewhat out of protest. Uh, the I mean, I believe it. I genuinely believe the Giants will win the game. Um. Look at what the Eagles defense just did. How could I possibly assume they're going to get a stop? They can't even get a. They can't even force a third down. So, <laughs> what am I putting they, my faith in? There are um, moving to the Cowboys side of this. Um, and before I get there, I know that you love hearing this, but like the reason this was also significant, and I talked about this on Monday, and I was chatting with stats about this because do you remember at the end of the 2021 regular season in Week 18, the Niners won a game in LA against the Rams? Do you remember this? Uh, I guess. I don't know. And so that was the year that the Cardinals collapsed. Remember, they were the final undefeated team, and they withered away, and the Rams actually wound up stealing that division from them. They were the NFC West champions in the year that they won the Super Bowl. Uh, but the mm-hmm. Cardinals were the top wild card in the conference. The Niners, I, I think Stats said um, that they won like seven in a row at the end um, just to get in, I mean, because they had started off so poorly. And so at the time, it belonged on the boys. People can check the tape on this. But, like, we were like, oh, hell yeah, bring on the Niners. Like, that's the team we want to see in the wild card round. <laughs> uh, because we were so, like, we were like, Jimmy Garoppolo, like, he stinks. You know what I mean? And I know that I and all of us did not properly fear the 49ers. And I think a lot of the NFL has changed since then, and they've become way more fearful. Um, but so, you know, my point is, like, it was kind of a bad draw without knowing it that they that they just got hot and happened to take that spot and they had the tiebreaker over the eagles who were the seventh seed and went to tampa as you mentioned um and then last year if not for daniel jones and brian dayball the vikings you know should have won that game obviously in the wild card round and if they had dallas would have gone to philadelphia in the division around i'm not going to sit here and tell you or eagles fans that i would have felt confident in the cowboys going to philly to play last year's eagles team but I definitely would have felt better than I did going to San Francisco because of the matchup and who the Niners are, et cetera. And so now if the Cowboys win on Sunday as 13 point favorites, they not only win the division, but they're the two seed. If they win their first playoff game, they're guaranteed a home one. They're undefeated at home. And for the first time in this three year run, they would be guaranteed of avoiding the 49ers at the very least until the title game, if they did make it there. And if the Rams wind up winning their first playoff game, maybe the Rams go beat them for you. You know what I mean? Like you open yourself up to that possibility and luck smiling upon you. So, I mean, this, this was, this is the most fortuitous bounce of the ball that the Cowboys have gotten entering the playoffs in the Mike McCarthy era, presuming they take care of business and beat the commanders this week. Yeah, it's does really work out well in their favor, which is also why that, call at the end of the Lions game when such a big deal uh I think the Cowboys are obviously going to win this game and uh what's the spread again 13 yeah I mean why not I did feel good about I got screwed with my lock of the week last week for the SB Nation NFL show I really did because I didn't know I I took the commanders cover but like I literally said on the premise of Jacoby Brissett starting and playing and I had no idea he was gonna magically get hurt late in the week like I, I got so screwed with that and I think I would have been right about that because the 49ers didn't look like amazing against the commanders even against Sam Howell I think it's fair to say Jacoby Brissett would have had a chance I do I get the credit for it obviously not in terms of the standing it is what it is but like I did get screwed just like the Lions got screwed so there are 19 possible permutations of the seven seed um, as we enter week 18 and the Saints are one of them. There's one possible combination where the Saints are the seventh seed. There are three more where the Vikings can be the seventh seed. And there are three more where the Rams can be the seventh seed. So that's seven. No. So in the 12 remaining permutations, the Green Bay Packers are the seventh seed in the NFC playoff picture. Yeah. Um, I am never going to feel confident in a playoff game against the Green Bay Packers, especially at AT&T Stadium. Um, but Aaron Rodgers is gone. Um, and so. I will say I definitely would rather play the Packers and the Rams, um, but I would certainly rather, sure. I would rather play the Vikings or the Saints. I mean, to be honest, but um, it would be interesting that, you know, Mike McCarthy would get a chance to play the Packers of all teams in a playoff game in the building where he coached them to a Super Bowl win. Um, but, you know, my, my fear level is like a 7.5 out of 10, like or seven, seven to eight, because it's a playoff game. You just never know. The record of, young quarterbacks who have not played played in the playoffs before is obviously just not good like quarterbacks who are playing their first playoff starts it's just not so that's a massive thing working against jordan love although to your point um and for as flawed as the packers have been this year and they are such a young team too i think not just the quarterback being young and inexperienced hurting them but the team as a whole kind of hurting them um this year i think you know they can build on that for future seasons but uh jordan love can get it hot that is a real thing. Like we've seen him at times this year, just like get really, really hot. So not impossible. 
That's what I'm saying. I'd be terrified um, on one level. I'd feel confident and optimistic. And if the Cowboys lost, it'd be embarrassing. But I mean, to go into the playoffs with the two seed, I mean, is is about as you know solid of a situation as you could have possibly asked for. And something that felt impossible this time a week ago. That's just how quickly things can change um, in the NFL. So I don't know that I'll pick them to cover. Uh, that's just a lot of points. It's a, it's a big number. Uh, but um, I mean, why not? I guess I'll take them. Because I really do think the commanders are actually organically tanking like i i think sometimes yeah. teams say that mm. and then they pull off um you know weird win or whatever the case may be do you know the last time commanders won a football game uh it was the was it against the seahawks no they lost that game uh oh. at the very end on went the, to overtime yeah. uh no it didn't um, go to overtime i thought it did did it um yeah it, I think it did it did not didn't they go to overtime against the team? Um, they did was against the, the Eagles. The, the <laughs> wrong, wrong no. green bird. No, again. Yes. No, that's it. That's the only one. I'm looking at it right now. I disagree. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know. What's the answer to the question? The last time they won a game was November 5th um, against the New England Patriots. Hmm. The three, the four teams they've beaten this week or this season, excuse me, the Cardinals, the Broncos in week two. Remember, they were two and zero, um, and then uh, then they beat the Falcons in the Taylor Heineke revenge game. Although that was Desmond Ritter and uh, the Patriots, and all three of them were one possession wins. Almost beat the Rams, or sorry, the Jets. <clears throat> almost beat the Jets. Almost beat the Eagles both times. Um, they were they were hanging tough with the Cowboys, kind of right till the like second half of the third quarter on Thanksgiving mm. day. And then it just snowballed against them. Um, but yeah, take the Cowboys, lay the points. Is that what you're doing? Yep. Um, I guess last question. And then we can kind of get out of here. Um, but who, I said that it does feel like there has to be a fall guy. We're just at that point. Like right now, the Cowboys aren't having that conversation, obviously, but like, it's not like a fall guy. It's not there like has, there has to be like, it's not like undeserved. There has no, to be. No, well, I mean, some somebody has to take the fall, though. Whether it's, I'm not saying it's undeserved, but like there, there's a required fall involved here. Like, who was mm-hmm. that person? I don't know that, especially if they lose to the Giants. Like I'm saying, I don't know that Brian Johnson or Sean Desire or Matt Patricia is enough. You know what I mean? I don't know that that's a big enough, like, you know, kind of thing at this point. I mean, but, like, w- like it, it would be kind of on the surface, and maybe this is why you're upset. But it would be kind of silly to say, like, oh, we're going to fire the head coach who's taken the team to the playoffs every year that he's been the head coach. You know, all three years, they went to the Super Bowl and, and almost won it. I mean. I get that, but it's not just about what he's done. It's about what is his plan going forward. And I think that's going to be key. I think because you look back to when the Eagles fired Doug Peterson, they didn't just, like, fire him right after the final game of the 2020 season. It wasn't just like. All right, you know what I mean? Like typically, like Ron Rivera is going to get fired literally like minutes after this game and we or like on or Monday morning to your yeah, point. It, yeah, it'll just be like instant. With Doug, they actually there was like a report out there that they were going to bring him back. His job was safe or whatever, and it wasn't. And he actually had like an end of season press conference. They they put him out there to like talk to everyone, which they typically don't do with a coach who gets is about to get fired. Like I think they wanted to bring him back. It's that he had multiple meetings with Jeff Lurie. And it seemed like those meetings did not go the way that Jeff Lurie wanted them to go in terms of like Doug's analysis of what was wrong and his plan to fix it. So I think Nick Sirianni is going to be in a similar situation where he's going to, you know, meet with Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman and kind of build his case to why he should stay, what his plan is for the team moving forward. And I think it's possible that, the Eagles will say, okay, we believe in this, or we're going to stick with you. We're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. But I also think there's a scenario where the plan isn't good enough, and they're like, we're moving on. So I was curious. Nick Sirianni is 42 years old, so, like, incredibly young, like, as far as, you know, NFL coaching life is concerned. Um, now, if the Cowboys were to move on from Mike McCarthy as an example, I don't know that he would get a job as a coordinator because I think he's he's too long in the tooth, right? Like it, it would be weird for Mike McCarthy to go be like an offensive coordinator somewhere. It was weird for Jason Garrett to do it, even though he hadn't had the success that Mike McCarthy had had, but it was just weird. And like my weird. thought, my thought at the time when the Cowboys, it was a similar, like took a long time to, I don't know if you remember, they actually moved on from Garrett during the Eagle Seahawks playoff game um, in the early days of 2020. Um, but my thought was like, 
there's nobody who's going to hire him to be their offensive coordinator. And lo and behold, the Giants did, like the team he had this like connection with. Uh, but like no Cowboys fan was ever like, oh, no, now we have to play the Jason Garrett offense. Like we're super right. afraid. So my question is like if Nick Sirianni were to be fired, like is he an offense? Like I asked this because I mentioned this to you and Steven. I don't think that that uh, Brandon Staley is a defensive coordinator in the NFL right now. Like I, I don't know that anybody wants him involved. Right I think now. he will. I think he will. It, be. I'm not saying never again, but in 2024, I don't think so. And um, so, well, like, a lot of these coaches have the uh, incentive to take off because they're getting sure. paid anyway. Why not take a year off? So if Nick, my point is, if Nick Sirianni is fired, is there a team lining up to hire him as offensive coordinator in 2024? Not. In 2025, maybe. I don't think 2024, just because, again, I think he would want to take off. I don't know. So then who's it's supposed- not just about the – but, like, people bring up the winning thing, and I get that. But what about the winning? It's not then just who do like- you, Then who do you attribute the winning to the most? Well, my – that's well, let me get to my point on it first. Like, what about that – like, what, a, what do you want to retain from him? Like, what exactly about him do you like that you want to retain? That's my question. I mean, I don't, I don't have anything, so I don't know why you're asking me. Yeah, I'm not saying uh, that you have the answer. I'm just like, that's my question that the Eagles need to, and everyone needs to think in terms of, because I can't just be like, well, he's won a lot, so you have to keep him. It's like, I don't think that's true, because just because someone has done a lot, of, or you've had success with someone, doesn't portend necessarily that it's just going to keep happening, especially if you can't really point to what about he did in that winning that is going to stay consistent. You know what I mean? Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that fair to say that like yeah. you need you can't just point to the winning. You have to point to the thing that you like about what he's doing to contribute to the winning that you really believe in. And I don't know but what I believe in. So you that's also why have I'm to saying point I don't to know something how he can be back. That is the reason for the losing. Like, you know, like, the, like and that's what I'm saying like I think there have to be difficult conversations that have to be had with and about Nick Sirianni and obviously his coaching staff and Jalen Hurts. Like those are the two things. Those are the two main components. Like and Right now, I think the least what well, I, I think Jalen Hurts is safe. <laughs> I know I think he's safe, obviously, but like I mean, you know, I I think the reason for the blame or the reason for the the collapse is maybe somewhat like sixty forty on Sirianni and Hurts, but the conversation gets presented like ninety ten, and so I think well, I, I think Hurts is really benefiting is... from the like you know the Sirianni hatred and the Brian. I don't Johnson. think it's sixty forty. I think you're maybe looking at like seventy five twenty five. I think it's a little bit more. It's not as close as you're saying, but I do agree that typically it is viewed as like too much 90 10 when it isn't that much i mean but i think it's more than 75 25 because he's out he you know so we're just AJ making brown, up random numbers now but i, I, know, I don't but think it's close to 50 50 is my point aj brown is you know outwardly um you know displaying his dissatisfaction with the team jalen hurts openly questioned the team's commitment i mean jalen hurts you know has had all these turnovers this season like you know mm-hmm. i don't i'm not presenting the question like was the contract a mistake but like he's paid a whole hell of a lot more money and affects the team salary cap in ways that Nick Sirianni doesn't like he has to like own a section the offense has regressed significantly. I'm not trying to let him off the hook I'm just saying also too realistically that's just not the first lever you flip you're not going to flip the quarterback lever lever of course yeah much easier to flip the head coach lever first so um that's also why I'm not really zeroing in on him right now i do agree you know he's going to be under pressure in next season in terms of if it's a similar season again next year then that's going to be an issue and then the the contract's also going to be at a point too where you're not like moving on from him but it's going to be more of a question than what you do the year after that so but that's that's not the place to start it's not the place to start nick sirianni is the place to start my dream is that the eagles keep nick sirianni and that aj brown requests a trade in the offseason the Eagles hire Mike Rabel to <laughs> reunite AJ Brown with. That's the thing. Like, I think part of the equation with Sirianni, to be fair, is like, it's not just moving on from Sirianni to move on from him. I'm not saying that. You have to have an idea of who you would hire. You, you'd have to have some kind of idea. You can't well, just and, like. And Sirianni was, was impacted by that at the beginning because it was like, you're firing Doug Peterson to bring in like this dude, Nick Sirianni. You know what I mean? Like, it, that was not fair. I don't say not fair to him, but you get my point. You have to have a plan, is my point. You can't just fire him to fire him and be like, well, now what are we going to do? No. that If you're firing him because you're like, we think we can upgrade a head coach, and here's our upgrade. Kellen Moore. Brandon Staley. No. <laughs> no, obviously not. Frank Reich. Ben Johnson. Frank Reich, he no returns Belichick. home. I guarantee <laughs> you there would be a lot of Eagles fans who would support the Frank Reich thing. He was the one. He, it was really him who was responsible for the Eagles. I would hope not, but. I, I don't know. Maybe. 
Um, let's do some songs and get out of here. Dan uh, Quinn. That would be funny. Uh, Rachel chose uh, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday by Boys to Men. Her exact mm-hmm. sentence was, in reference to this Eagles team as of late. <laughs> so, but I don't End think of- that you, you don't agree. You don't think it's hard to say goodbye. It's easy to say goodbye. Um, yeah, that's. What's your song? I'm I'm picking one right now. Um, and uh, end of the road would also be appropriate by Boys to Men. Fantastic end of the road, song. love that that's, song. I mean, you're like the only person to like that song, Brandon. Nobody else. It's great. Um, okay, I'm going with. Um, hang on, I'm pulling up the album so I get the exact name right. Uh, I'm going with the song classic Unprepared. classic by mkto very popular tiktok song classic. what kind of song is that what kind of upbeat. genre it's an upbeat yeah. kind of poppy dancey sort of i know you're a big dancer so um huge <laughs> biggest dancer some would say uh six foot five dancer yeah six foot nine <laughs> my song is by the way Wild. i i continue that bit for holden who i have heard nothing from in a very long time holden interesting how you only talk uh when the eagles win interesting my song is Ronald Gregory Erickson II by STRFKR. And for those who know what that means, know what that means. STRFKR? Is that the name of the band? Or is that is that what you're saying when people know? Kind of the abbreviated name of the band. We don't need to. It's a, it's a family-friendly show. We don't need to ah. dive deeper. Well, see, I, I don't. So that went over my head, but I yep. and MTKO is actually their name. So I, know, I was going to say like it's kind of funny that we both picked bands with abbreviate you know initials as their name. They used to go by their original name, but then changed to this name for somewhat obvious reasons. Hmm. Okay. Uh, as we leave, Brandon, I would like you to tell us your favorite thing to cook in an oven. It could be anything. It could be pizza. It could be a pastry. It could be heating up something frozen but your favorite thing to put into an oven to eat banana bread <laughs>